la, la, la. From New Jersey. You look like you have a fan growing out of your head. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a good day for justice today. I assume that you have heard. You're um, going to have to be specific with me. Well, Justin Jones, that won so far, has been okay. reinstated yes. into the state house in Tennessee. Uh, we have a video that we will play. Uh, but it was, um, you know, it was a, it was a circumstance that did not have to happen, but ultimately did happen. And I think in a way, uh, the GOP really shot themselves in the foot by doing it. And hopefully that will be the case. Uh, the video was very telling in terms of watching Justin speak and watching the very disgruntled old men, uh, you know, not particularly caring for it. It's like, hey, come on, we're not we're not supposed to be uh, being paid attention to. And I think if there's anybody that can really speak to this, it is our wonderful special guest of the night. Been uh, obviously uh, very happy to have on because we know that when you are working on Capitol Hill, the schedule changes literally moment to moment. And at any given moment, uh, you could be running around. So I'm not sure if Representative Crockett is going to be uh, visible, but much like the time that we did have the pleasure of speaking with her when she was in the Texas House, she literally was running around. Um, and this may be the same case here. Uh, but any thoughts before we bring in our wonderful? Um, I just I think that it's it's extremely um, <laughs> fortuitous that we can have her on given that, you know, what just happened in Tennessee, it's like, you know, this is somebody, Jasmine is somebody that led a walkout at her state house when she was in the state legislature, even though it was really not going with what they were supposed to do and fall in line with. And I just think that it's just, we've, we're still having this problem. Now it's just in Tennessee instead of Texas. But, um, and I think ultimately these guys are going to both be back in there. And now they've just given them a bigger platform. That's that's what I think, which is good as far as I'm concerned. They did. And listen, whatever it's going to take for the youth to really be as engaged as they are, uh, clearly the more opportunity you get from people like a Representative Jones in particular, who happens to be very unapologetic about how big of a Bernie supporter he was and is, and how he espouses those non-corporate populist leanings henceforth, uh, basically having uh, no fear in doing what he has done. And the fact that he not only was reinstated today in the Tennessee State House, he held a rally with thousands of people in order to really exactly. emphasize how significant this is. And I highly doubt any of those State House representatives would be able to do no, such a thing. They've just emboldened them and given them a bigger platform, which is, I think, like, again, I think it's, it's going to, you know, it's going the way it needs to go. But, you know, when you see people that are young and black and preaching things like working class solidarity, they just that's that's some scary stuff that that in the past historically in this country has not voted well for, especially for black men that are leaders and charismatic and and really understand that this is a poor people's movement. You know, it is. So I just I, you know, I think they're awesome. 
and and we'll we'll tackle it. Obviously, the Congresswoman's time is uh, very precious, and we want to have her as long as we can. Uh, but there was um, a couple of statements that was made today by a couple of uh, people that were from what I would consider the Beltway, uh, alluding to this idea that hey, things aren't so bad right now. And I'm thinking, uh, what streets are you checking out? I- I'm not sure because it's last yeah. I checked, it's, it's, it's stuff is getting pretty rough. Uh, but without further ado, uh, she is a an exceptional representative. Uh, not just because of the fact that she fights for her constituents, but because very much like the two Justins in Tennessee, she has the courage to not only stand up to the GOP, but make them respect her for having the gall to do what she did, which was lead, literally lead a walkout of the Texas Democratic Party. And at a time when you really need to have that fighting spirit, if you're ever going to get anything accomplished, she was the representative at the state house of District 100 in the Lone Star State of Texas. She is now the congressional representative of Texas's 30th congressional district. Jasmine Crockett, welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, how are y'all? Hi, I wish I could say it's so good to see you, but um, I know that you're busy and I so appreciate you coming back on here. Um, I've always been a fan and I do think it's very kind of telling that we're still having the same kind of nonsense in all these complete GOP owned state houses. Yeah, no, uh, first of all, it's great to see both of you because I can see you. Um, I am running all around. We are on a two week work period. And so um, my first week we visited any and everybody we could, it felt like. And I have to fly first thing in the morning. And so I'm actually like running around. Um, So my apologies. But no, it was so triggering for me, everything that has been and is going on in Tennessee. Um, You guys met me way before kind of the rest of the country met me. And, you know, one part of the story that really didn't start to get fleshed out until a little bit later was the fact that I was the only black freshman and I was the youngest um, state rep in the state of Texas as well, youngest black one at least. Let me say that, youngest black one. And just the way that I was treated, um, being told that I was to be um, seen and not heard. Um, I remember being on the back mic challenging one of the terrible bills, whether it was either open carry um, or it was the abortion ban when we at least still had Roe in place. Um, and I was taunted at the back mic and I was told all your bills are going to be killed. Um, and so if they had the numbers, I'm sure that they would have kicked us out. I mean, they made sure that they put warrants out for our arrest because they were so dedicated to this idea of disenfranchising voters, specifically working class folk, black folk, brown folk, um, and just the lower socioeconomic folk. They did not want them to have access to power and representation. And that's exactly what we see happening in these very red states. We know that we lost any semblance of um, parity when the Voting Rights Act was not reauthorized. We know that that allowed crazy states like Texas and Tennessee and Georgia to engage in gerrymandering on a whole other level um, that allowed them to have super majorities, even down there in Florida. There's a super majority. And I am so scared about literally Georgia and Florida were the first two states that came to mind when I thought, oh, God, what are they going to do 
to those Democrats that dare to speak out and speak up for their constituents now that they've seen what Tennessee has done. But I think Tennessee is quickly recognizing that that may not have been the move. So I don't know if anybody else is going to follow suit. Yeah, it's not popular, clearly. It's not yeah. it's not a popular thing to do. And again, I, and I you probably heard when, before you came on, like, I think it just makes them, you know, louder and gives them a bigger platform. Oh, yeah. I mean, no one knew who the Justins. I'm not going to say no one. I don't want to make it seem that way. But uh, for sure. I mean, I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure their Twitter following and everything else. Yeah. I mean, I remember um, hearing a news report of some random guy that started raising money for them and had already amassed almost half a million dollars for their elections. Um, It's just insane. But, you know, people don't like this. And for the party that claims to care about freedom, everything about everything that they're doing seems to be the antithesis of freedom. Children aren't allowed to live in a country where they can be free of being sprayed potentially by a bullet. Um, Women and persons with uterus cannot be free to make decisions over their bodies. And now they're making it clear that they want to usurp any and all power that uh, is given by the people to their elected representatives if they just don't like their representation. Congresswoman, can you talk about uh, the importance of, you know, not just yourself, but obviously uh, we are very friendly with uh, Congressman, uh, fellow freshman Representative Maxwell Frost, who is uh, also basically adhering to the same principles of uh, you got to fight fire with fire. You cannot just sit back and allow uh, the old guard to basically run roughshod over, you know, the millennial generation, the Gen Z generation. Uh, You got to not just fight, but you also have to be able to rally a lot of people. We saw what Justin uh, Jones was able to do today at the Tennessee State House. He didn't go by himself. He went there with a cadre of people, thousands it would appear. Uh, The more that people see the boots on the ground, the more I think the recognition of the inevitable generational change, if you will, is going to happen. Can you talk about that? Yeah, you know, um, we are definitely seeing a shift. Um, I love my class, so in love with my class, Uh, the best class in the history of the Congress. And I am not saying that because I'm biased. It is just facts. Um, And we absolutely brought down the average age of Congress just by swearing in once we finally got sworn in after 15 votes. And listen, my class is full of folk. I mean, we are qualified. Um, We're a really, really qualified group of folk. Um, But we are definitely younger. And most of us sought our qualifications simply out of frustration, right? You have a Maxwell Frost who is a Gen Zer. And it was interesting when we went through orientation, we had a portion of it that we did at Harvard. And there was um, a presenter that talked to us about just the mental stress that Gen Zers have endured that is unlike anything from any other generation. And I never thought about it in the way that this presenter presented it because clearly we have all lived through it as well, right? Everything Gen Zers are going through, we've gone through too because we're older. The difference is we that hasn't been like the entirety of our existence, right? Um, the idea that I never had to do an active shooter drill when I was in school yet there's a generation of kids that have only grown up having to do those. And so this is a generation that is fed up. This is a generation that has decided that they're going to speak up and speak out. 
this generation is is full of a lot more activists than even my generation. I think the the level of frustration started to spill over with us, right? I think that so many of us have been engaged in the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and really, that's where a lot of my activism came from as a civil rights lawyer, deciding that that was the space for me um, as we were really seeing so much police brutality um, but now, you know, with all of the school shootings and this idea that and I'm, I'm saying school shootings because those are the streets that a Maxwell Frost came from. But even when you think about what happened to these two Gen Zers in the Tennessee House, you know, they dared to speak up and both of them were activists and their activism led them to decide that they needed to legislate. And I applaud them because for some people, it is very difficult to make the connection. But I think that this current generation of activists understands that it's not good enough just to hit the streets. Now, we need to hit the streets and we we definitely are about that life. Right. But understanding that we now have to take it a step further. And so I think that that's why it's it's easier for these types of legislators, younger activist legislators to do an outside inside game. Right. What they were able to do was bring attention, more attention than, you know, they probably even imagined to this issue. But they had organized right there in Tennessee. Right. They were in touch with those organizations. And so that's what I think you see a lot of us doing as it relates to the old guard. I will tell you that even with my ascension, right, a historic ascension it's never happened in the history of the state of Texas that you had a black freshman legislator that ends up going to the U.S. House. But my predecessor, who at the age of 87 decided to retire, specifically said to me that it needs to be you because it needs to be someone who has experience, but also someone who is younger and energetic. She really believed that she said, I mean, there were a lot of older people that wanted to run. There were a lot of older people that did run uh, in my race. But even she recognized that there's been a change in Congress and we've got to get this younger energy in. Um, and I think that some of the old guard is starting to see that, you know, I really do feel blessed to have an opportunity to serve with a Steny Hoyer and to serve with a Nancy. Um, but, you know, they both stepped down from leadership. They have been in leadership for the House Democratic Caucus for years. Right. And in their 80s, I'm anticipating that retirement is is nearby, right? Um, and so even they are saying it's time for new blood because this fight looks a little different. Um, so I don't really feel like we've had to fight against the tide very much in the U.S. House. Nothing like what I experienced in the Texas House, which was a constant fight to get them to do anything. And right now, all I'm getting is complaints about the fact that I'm not there and the fights that are being waged and how there's a lot less organizing that's going on in the Texas house. And so people, including my pastor, my pastor was complaining on Easter. He was texting me and saying, we don't have the level of access that we had when you were there. Like he's happy that I'm in Congress, but he's like, we need somebody there that is going to stay in touch and make sure that we are um, attentive and we can get down there and, and raise hell, you know, when necessary. Yeah, this is something I've talked about a lot. Like, you know, you always hear this revolving door of politics and usually it's referring to uh, Capitol Hill and corporate lobbyists and, and that whole nonsense, you know. But I have this idea that the best revolving door is between the grassroots organizers 
and legislators. And when we talk about these gentlemen in Tennessee, that's exactly what we're seeing. And they are almost like these Gen Zers that are just not having it anymore. They're just not having it. Um, they, but, but what's amazing is it seems to be that this is like, like you refer to your class as your class, but like this new young people getting involved seem to be the first class of organizers that we're seeing in like mass getting involved in electoral politics. Um, and I love that revolving door. Like, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way we can merge the inside and the outside together. Absolutely. I mean, I think about even some of like our first weeks in Congress, even before we swore into Congress, um, Maxwell, you know, he had a press conference and, uh, you know, he had March for Our Lives there. Right. But this is an organization that he had legitimately like worked for and worked on the behalf of. And so those relationships are invaluable um, when you are making that transition. Right. And your experience I mean, it, it gives you the voice and the, the the conscience of the people, right? You can get so disconnected in D.C. It is very difficult for me. Every time I come home, I get a little teary-eyed because um, I just don't feel as connected to my district because we are in D.C. so much. And when we're there, it is a constant. Like, I have no control over my schedule I'm usually out the door by no later than 8.30 a.m. I'm lucky if I get in the door by 9 p.m. and I've got to get up and do it all over again. It is like every minute is slated. And usually there's not even a lunch that is slated on my calendar. And so when I get to come home, that's when I get re-energized because I only do this for the people at home. But it is very easy to get disconnected from them. And I, I get very concerned about, you know, do they know that I'm working really hard? Like, do they realize that like, I can't be home every day or can't be home every week. Um, mm -hmm. But when I come home and they're, you know, we over communicate um, in my, in my district simply because I want to make sure that they know I am working. You may not see me, but I am always thinking about you and I am always advocating for you. And I am always working. Um, so. I think that it shows in, in, in who you are and what you do, but just something I wanted to point out is that friend of ours, Sheila Sherfulis McCormick, uh, one of the things that she has done that we thought was great, actually, we had thought about it campaign wise, was she closed down one of her uh, offices and instead now has a bus and she uses the bus and has office hours in different locations. Um, and just is able to really get around and be available to more people at better hours. You know what I mean? It was just really, and it's been very popular. No, I, um, I am very aware that she decided to do that. And we didn't know what we were going to do because rent is really expensive. Exactly. <laughs> it, is super, it is super expensive. Yeah. Um, and so thinking about, you know, how to use the uh, MRA, which is our budget, you know, I was like, what do I want to do? But we did decide to do an office. What we decided to do, and luckily I have the most compact district in the state of Texas. Um, we decided that we were doing mobile office hours um, at every in every single city that is located in our district, which I have about 12 cities. And so luckily I have really great working relationships with um, all of my city electeds and things like that. And so we do um, robocalls, we send out emails. 
Um, and we basically tell whichever city that we're coming to the city um, and they can go ahead and visit us for mobile office hours so that they're not only limited to showing up in our office. Um, and people are liking it so far. Um, but I also wanted to see if there was a portion of my district that really probably deserved its own separate kind of satellite office in addition to my main office. And luckily, I don't feel that way. So that makes me happy. Um, but they're really liking that we're coming out into the community to meet with them. No, I know you're busting ass. I know you're busting ass. <laughs> and, and like, and but for you, especially comparatively, how do you find that um, compared to what your daily grind used to be like? Oh, this is completely different. <laughs> it's completely different. Um, just because my district is so much larger. Right. So we have some of the largest districts for state houses, right? So my district on the state house level was 177,000 people, um, which, you know, just like Tennessee, they've got like 40 or 80,000 people or so or whatever. We have really, really large state house districts, but now I'm up at 766,000 people. And my race was really fast. I mean, this was a primary race. Um, you know, I basically started beginning of December and by February we were voting. So there were just a lot of portions of the district I hadn't physically gotten to. Um, so right now we're really trying to build on those relationships and make sure that like the people actually know me, you know, cause it was like, well, we got to vote for somebody and at least we know her name. Right. But like, I need them to like, know me, know what we do. Um, and feel comfortable with communicating with us. Uh, so, you know, it's it's different because I've got so many more constituents, but I also have a lot less time. So when I'm in the state house, you come home every weekend. I mean, the state house is only 30 minutes on a flight, right? So you're catching a flight. You're usually really there just kind of Monday through Thursday. You come yeah. home over the weekends, you see folk, you're at church, you go back. And then we only do it once every two years right. or about five months, but this is all year long <laughs> and there's no rhyme or reason to the calendar. Um, so it's, it's definitely a lot for sure. Um, and I'm, I'm unable to be as accessible when I'm in DC. When I was in Austin, I was pretty accessible. Like I would maybe have committee, you know, two times a week or something and we'd maybe be on the floor voting and things like that. But people could vote your desk. So you could leave and go do meetings and somebody could vote, you know, your desk for you and that kind of stuff. On the House floor, that doesn't happen. You got to be there for your votes and you got to put your your card in the machine. And it's like a whole thing. If if like you gave your card to somebody, it's like a violation of the rules or something. Um, and you can get in big trouble. So it's, it's just really intense. And we're not in our committees either. I'm used to sitting in committee, but essentially your staff is watching the committee. So you're, you're less inclined to really be able to know what all has happened, what all has been said, unless your staff is like kind of, you know, really giving you uh, the highlights. And then you just go into committee for like your five minutes because you're in meetings like the entire time. It's, it's really kind of crazy. Yeah. We're speaking with Jasmine Crockett, Congressional Representative of Texas 30th District. What can you say has been the experience so far? I mean, obviously, it's a life-changing opportunity to become a federal uh, legislator in the House. 435 people in the whole country can do it. Um, obviously, uh, representing the Dallas, uh, the Dallas area and, of course, uh, 
three quarters of a million people. It, it's a lot and it's a lot of pressure. Uh, what would you say has been so far, uh, you know, what you would consider the most rewarding part of the job? And frankly, what's been the most difficult part of the job? Um, the most difficult part of the job has been something that was really hard for me to accept in the Texas house, which is that there are legitimately people that lack the courage to do what is right. Right. Like, I, I just don't feel like certain things are partisan or should be partisan, but they are like and it's stupid. I mean, we were fighting about masks. Right. Like, so the idea that I can't have like an intelligent conversation to come up with legislation that makes sense for um, the people that we were elected to serve. And, you know, arguably, like when you basically were pointing out that this is like an elite group of people, it feels like they are less than elite, right? Like, it's like, seriously, guys, like, let's just do basic shit, right? Um, so that is something that I've probably learned in the Texas house and it's only been reinforced in the U.S. house. Um, and then, so that's, that's the difficult part because I'm in this to, to serve and better lives. No other reason. Right. Um, but the most rewarding part is, you know, my style is a bit different from my predecessor. I'm a lot more, um, I don't want to say I'm a lot more aggressive, um, but I'm definitely louder right? I'm louder than my predecessor. Um, and I'm willing to wage the fights that I feel like are necessary, like publicly. And, you know, it's hard to know whether or not your district would appreciate something like that when my congresswoman is the only one to ever serve this district, right? It was created. And then she was the only one. I'm only the second person to ever sit in this seat. And so for there to be such a shift it's kind of risky, right? And it's like, oh, are you guys okay with this? Like, does this work for you? And to come home and know that people have been paying attention, like when they can tell me, you know, exactly what I wore on, you know, Jonathan Capehart's show or, you know, whatever, because they're like so tuned in and they are so thankful or getting the text messages as soon as I finish, you know, various hits or you know, unfortunately, um, one of my really big supporters passed away suddenly uh, this past week. And I was at a vigil and there were people walking up and saying, thank you for sending your monthly newsletters. Like, I feel so informed, like just really being able to make sure that my district knows what's going on and how their rights are being affected. I think that that's the most rewarding thing that anybody could ask for, especially sitting in a minority with a McCarthy speaker. Yeah. I think that's good. We actually had a good question here from Carpe Diem wants to know what action can Texas reps take against See, they're, they're still picking your brain from there, but <laughs> what action can they take against Abbott pardoning that killer of the BLM activist? Oh, I don't think anything's going to. So I personally think that they may have to change some laws. <laughs> um, and I think they're kind of out of time to try to get something done unless he calls a special uh, session, which of course he's never above it. But I think that this is just him talking noise um, because I was like, wait a minute, pardon. Like I never even spent very much time kind of studying pardons as a lawyer because I was like, the, they'll never get pardoned going to him, the people that I would be submitting for. Right. right. So I'm like, but like, seriously, like normally you have to serve your sentence. So we have two different things that you can do 
Um, you can have a sentence commuted, which means that is being like the number is being changed in some way. We usually hear about commutations when somebody is facing the death sentence. Right. And so then that's when it's like, oh, we got to go to the governor. We got to commute this sentence, you know, and it's like trying to get it commuted from somebody being executed to maybe life um, without possibility of parole or something like that. So first of all, for everything that I even recently looked at, because I was like, am I stupid? Um, the all the ways usually require that you've actually completed your sentence. He's not even been sentenced yet. So for sure, nothing can happen before anybody's sentenced because all this happened thus far as he's been convicted. You have to be fully sentenced before the governor could execute anything. Um, there is some kind of like exception because all of this still has to go through parole and pardons, which of course, He's the one that makes the appointments to the board. But normally what happens is people submit their applications to the board and then the board makes a recommendation and sends it over to the governor. So this is kind of going backwards in the first place where he's asking them to get things together. And I honestly don't know which route he's planning on taking. You can do like an actual innocence kind of sort of claim um, where you can get like, it's, it's not truly actual innocence, but like a judge, um, maybe the DA, like you have to have some judicial officers. So there's different ways to get a pardon. There's not really a clear way that I see right now, except for the fact that the governor is trying to be the one to induce the, um, the, the, the board to do it, which I think that the DA, which you know, nobody in Austin likes Abbott, even though that's where he lives. Um, so I fully anticipate that the DA would actually take the the governor to court <laughs> over it. And it would put the Supreme Court in a really unique situation. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But the cards are not on his side right now as it relates to a pardon, because it's not just a I do this myself because that 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 spits in the face of any semblance of justice. Well, we're not going to dive into the Clarence Thomas fiasco because that'll take way too much time. However, you are in the Lone Star State and we would be amiss, especially with everything that's going on right now with a woman's right to choose. And obviously you are probably very, very familiar with Judge Matt Kaczmarek, who has gone out of his way to basically be uh, the judge, jury, and executioner of the issue of whether or not a form of a morning after pill, mifepristone, is able to be utilized. Um, and of course, he's trying to do uh, his job on behalf of the conservative coalition to make sure that it isn't available. Can you talk about the importance? Um, again, there are a lot of things that are involved on Capitol Hill that don't really get enough attention. But I definitely think the appointment of judges is very critical, especially when it comes to issues of civil liberties of this magnitude. Uh, we don't hear enough libertarians. Um, you know, we do have some, uh, you know, there are ones that are out there that are principled, but when it comes to this particular issue, like a woman's right to choose for whatever reason, the libertarians, I'm looking at you, Thomas Massey, you tend to be very, very quiet about this. And that's not principled in any way. So what can you share regarding uh, Judge Kaczmarek and obviously the importance of understanding, you know, when you do uh, nominate judges, that this is the type of thing that can happen when you are not paying attention, because very often these judges end up getting rubber stamped into office. Yeah, you know, it is quite frustrating. Um, 
I was at a dinner. We actually went to Senator Warren's house, a group of us, um, probably about a month or so after we were sworn in. And, you know, it was just like Senator Warren is amazing. Right. And essentially, she just wanted like a powwow and wanted us to kind of talk about, you know, the things that were burning and concerning for us. And for me as a lawyer, um, it is the judiciary. Like, that's just my natural inclination um, to go to that and my concerns around that. And I was like, what's going on with the blue slips? You know, I was like, what, what, what is happening? And so for your listeners, long story short, we've got you know, 38 uh, House members in the state of Texas. We've got two senators, one that is better known than the other for not so good reason, right? And essentially with these judicial appointments, the senators can decide to blue slip somebody. So basically leaving these appointments throughout the state vacant, right? Like they don't, like, even though we have a Democratic Senate, we have a Democratic president, we are unable to move forward with nominations unless, say, the two senators, forget what the House is, unless the senators say you can go forward. And so what we have is in states like Texas, where there's just Republicans, they block. They block. And and the blue slip, much like um, the filibuster, is a random tradition. And as far as I'm concerned, it is a relic of a tradition, right? It is something that is now only being used to hurt our democracy, to hurt like the foundations of everything that we allegedly are in this country. And there has to be people that will say to hell with this, because if the shoe was on the other foot, y'all wouldn't give a damn about the traditions, right? So you have like, you know, Democrats that want to be the statesmen. And then you have Republicans that are just radical, right? We saw this with Obama. We saw that we got cheated in the Supreme Court. We got cheated. And guess what happened? We ended up losing Roe, right? So like, I don't need to see any more of how this plays out. We need to fight fire with fire. And we're going to get more Looney Tunes like Casmeric right? Who's just out here not using any law degree that he, I mean, a law student wouldn't given, wouldn't have given this opinion, right? Like it is so jacked up and so ridiculous and so baseless, right? Like it used to be when you walked into a courtroom, you would say, okay, now this is, this is somebody that leans to the right. So you knew if it was something that was kind of in the middle to expect them to go right. And if you walked into a Democrat and it was in the middle to expect them to go to the left, right? But literally just creating shit out of nowhere and ignoring precedents, like what we saw out of the Supreme Court, what we're seeing out of Casimir, like this is where we are. So if we don't wake up and say, listen, they don't give a damn and we do, and we're going to fight like we do, then, I mean, we're going to continue to lose. We're going to continue to have rights eroded away at and, you know, I don't really care if you're pro-life or not as relates to this most recent decision. <laughs> Sooner or later, you may have a real problem depending on um, if this is upheld in any way. You know, I really want somebody to be outlandish and file, um, you know, a lawsuit in Amarillo in front of him for Viagra. 
I want to see him twist his way around this one, right? Like, like the FDA approval on it, and it's especially since we know that it's not as safe as the drug that he just decided he was going to unilaterally with no experience, no nothing, ban, right? So I'm like, all right, let's let's make them um, show their hands. Like, let's let's do to them what they doing to us. And let's see how this plays out, right? Um, it is very frustrating to be a a younger woman and live in what's supposed to be the land of the free. And every which way I turn, either because of my skin color or because literally things that just make me who I am because it's how I was born. I was born black and I was born as a woman. And the fact that things that are innate to who I am are 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 up for grabs as as a game, right? Like it is problematic to me. It is distressing to me. And if it's distressing to me, I know that it's distressing to so many others. We're speaking yeah. with Congressional Representative Jasmine Crockett of Texas's 30th District. Jen, you had a thought? You were uh, no, I mean, I'm just looking at people, some people's questions in, in the yeah, chat. I, I think that the, no, I yeah. One, one of the things that obviously, you know, you know where we're at regarding our progressive bona fides and, you know, where a lot of people are feeling on the outside looking in that, you know, there's really nothing getting done. The, you know, the progressives in the House especially are not really doing anything in terms of taking really hardline initiatives on anything. Can you just talk about what it takes in this current state of where the party is? Because if we're going to be completely honest in terms of the people that are really willing to fight, the people that are willing to really make a difference, and you are one of those leaders, you know, we're very friendly with Nina Turner. We would love to have had her in there as well. Uh, What it means right now to have maybe, if we're being honest, about 15 to 20 out of 200 plus representatives that really are on the side of the people in terms of the fight and what it means to continue to build those numbers, even though it takes time. Obviously, you're in there. Your friend Greg Kazar is in there. And there's going to be a lot of others that potentially can join in the near future. Summer Lee is a real fire brand out in Pittsburgh. You know, the opportunity to bring in more of these representatives who are not bought and paid for by corporate special interests that are going to create louder and louder voices, especially with the likes of what Justin Jones and Justin Pearson just did. Uh, Can you talk about what that's like? Because people are obviously desperate and they really want to see some fight, if you will. Talk about just the importance of keeping the faith and recognizing that this is a process that takes time, but that you guys are definitely forming the necessary coalitions that in time will produce the type of results that people really want to see on the outside. Yeah, no, I mean, you just named off, you just rattled off so many names, right? Once again, why why I have the coolest class ever. You do have a class. <laughs> I mean, you just rattled off so many names. I think with every um, wave of members, it's only getting better, right? It's, it's only getting better. I mean, you know, even some of the rock stars like Marie Perez, who was on no one's radar and ends up flipping a Trump plus four seat, um, is arguably, I think she's the only mechanic in Congress. She's definitely the only female mechanic in Congress. Right. And so like, I think that, the Republicans are doing more to help the movement than anybody. 
honestly. I mean, they are exciting and animating a base. There are people that are getting involved in politics that could never, ever care less about it. And so, you know, what I got to say is that, you know, all powers to the people. That that is that is just what this is. And so long as we don't sit down, because that's one of the faults that we had, right? Like Democrats are very good at like relaxing. Like, oh, we won this one thing and then chill out, right? Like there's a failure to continually organize year round. There's a failure to continually engage all the time, right? Like, honestly, there's been terrible legislation coming through all these state houses for a very long time, right? But who was out there explaining this? Who was out there making sure that people knew? I mean, like, who knew? I didn't know because I hadn't been paying attention to Tennessee like that, that they're trying to bring back lynching right now. Tennessee wants to bring back lynching. Like, this is what is going on, right? Like, these crazy state houses, like, have some of the most ridiculous shit. Like, Texas has decided that, like, Asians shouldn't be allowed to buy land. I'm like, I don't understand how y'all gonna do that, but they gonna try and they're gonna send it to this racist Supreme Court that we have, right? Like we have crazy things that are popping off. And obviously we constantly hearing about what y'all got going on in Florida, but like no one typically pays attention to the state houses. And so the thing is, I think the more that we talk about the state houses, cause it's always been Congress, right? It's kind of like, it's always been the presidency. But now we know we've got some batshit, like, crazy governors, Florida, Texas. Um, oh, there was one other I was thinking. Oh, yeah, Georgia. Jesus Christ. I mean, like, we've got all these terrible, like, governors, right? And people are starting to realize how bad some of these governors are. They're starting to realize how crazy some of these state houses are. And so I think the more that we wake people up, even though the Republicans are trying to do the whole anti-woke thing, I think that they are doing the best thing that we could ever have um, because it's one thing for me to say, oh, you need to go vote. It's another thing where I'm like, yeah, so, you know, if you get raped, just get ready to be a mama and uh, hope there's no complications. Good luck. Right. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Or but like, we know, right. Like, we know that as people that have done, you know, I don't know, like, if you've ever done the J- Jane Roe cases at all in Texas. Um, but when I was in San Antonio, that was something that I worked on. And the truth is, is even though, uh, access to abortion technically was legal, it was almost impossible for people Mm -hmm. to come by, like only existed in a couple of places. So like Mm -hmm. reproductive and abortion access has always been hard to come by for, for marginalized people. And so to a lot of people, these things are, yeah, it's pouring gasoline on the fire, but they've already had not good access and manipulation from those faux clinics and, you know, all of that crap that people get in places like Texas and Florida. No, you're right. But like, then they were at least like pretending, right? Yes. Like they were defunding Planned Parenthood, right? Like writing legislation like, oh, this kind of clinic can't get this kind of money if they do this or that over there. And so then they have to shutter locations, right? Making it virtually impossible to find a location because financially they just cannot survive even though an organization like Planned Parenthood was doing a lot more than abortions right um and and providing for overall reproductive health and so you know they that's how they did it before that was them doing things quietly now they're just doing it out loud that's that's the difference it's it's very out loud it's very in your face 
And as I said earlier today, they're just lying, right? Like, you know, we keep trying to say, well, if you're really pro-life, then you'll care about all these kids being gonna, they're not pro-life. No, they're for They're for birth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you're, you don't care about life because we can't get you to fund shit for kids. We can't right. get you to protect kids. Like you're not. So like, I don't even know why we repeat such thing as, such things as, well, if you're pro-life, they're not. So no. stop saying it. Cause they're not right. Like they're not like, right. let's start calling them out for what they are. Thank like they're these crazy control freaks that decide that they want to tell, you know, people what to do with their bodies. And they want two sets of rules, a set of rules for them and their cronies. So the Trumps of the world, the George Santos of the world and all of these criminals, right. They want to have a set, a certain set of rules. You didn't hear them talking about being so religious and all this other kind of stuff when Herschel Walker was running and he had all these, you weren't talking about, you weren't hearing them talk about how hard they should have been on crime for domestic violence or anything, right? Like they have two different sets of rules. Like the black, brown, and poor, y'all need to be locked up, throw away the key, even if you were selling dope to try to take care of your family, right? But, you know, we can do whatever we want to and nothing should happen to us. Like, Stop pretending that they're tough on crime. Stop pretending that they are actually pro-life. They are none of these things. No, they're they're tough on on crimes of poverty. Um, yes. That's the, you know, and crimes of poverty, and especially in, you know, female prisons, it's like 90-something percent of the people there for crimes of poverty. You know, so, but yet crimes of complete screwing entire groups of people like white-collar crimes, that's not a problem. They're not, that's not a difficult thing. It's the guy who, who's, you know, just struggling to live and just be able to feed his own family. That's the guy who we need to incarcerate to also further use for slave labor. Yeah. And as, and as Jen and I have been talking about over the past plus week with obviously, you know, Trump dominating the headlines, bottom line is regardless of whether or not you think the, uh, the, the charges against him are frivolous, whatever the bottom line is, too many people at that level in, in white collar America that have been able to get away with way too much for way too long. Let it open the floodgates. Everyone who's guilty. There are plenty of people that you work with on a daily basis who have a lot to hide that they really do not want the public to know about. So as far as I'm concerned, stop wor- walking on working people and stop walking on the and start walking on the people that are walking on working people, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so the uh, the work that you're doing is beyond exceptional. And obviously, we are grateful for you coming on this evening. But we do have uh, one final question we want to ask, because I do think that this is very important as it relates to you personally. You know, you you go uh, into the halls of Congress and, you know, obviously it can be starry eyed at times. And, you know, you want to be able to be as effective as like you said, you know, that's probably why there's a lot of synergy between you and Jen, because you understand that this role that you have is a very sacred role of public service. It is the highest level that you can get to. Obviously, you have the U.S. Senate and you have the presidency of the United States, but you are in that hall where the biggest decisions in the world, quite frankly, are made on a daily basis. So let's just say for the sake of argument, we know it's not the case, although uh, I would definitely be advocating for you in particular 
governor to run against Senator Cruz in 2024. I know that's not going to happen, um, but maybe sometime down the road. Nevertheless, yeah, let's just assume for the sake of argument, you have two years and that's all you're going to have in the halls of Congress. What would be the one thing you would want to accomplish, whether through amendment or an actual bill that if you could make happen in the next two years, what would that be? It'd be voting rights for me. Um, absolutely. Um, the, the fights that we're waging right now are because we literally lack all semblance of protections. And so I can't begin to make sure that Tennessee is actually passing legislation that is, um, reflective of Tennesseans or Texas do the same, or even the U S house, um, unless we have, and even the U.S. Senate, unless we have voting rights. Um, you know, that was the beginning of the erosion of really so many things in this country. And so if there was one thing, because it is so foundational, it would be voting rights for me. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And for us, it's it's similarly from the outside perspective. For us, it's the corporate corruption. You know, like for right. us, getting the corporate corruption out and going back to an actual functioning democratic republic, because the reality is we live in a world where a minority is controlling the majority. Absolutely. We know this because the majority of people support a woman's right to choose. The majority of people support universal health care. The majority of people support ending the wars. The majority of people support a lot of things that is not reflected in policy. So right. we, have a, we have a government that's been hijacked by corporate special interests. So like to us, the foundation of getting the money out is huge. Yeah. And anytime we can get somebody elected that actually answers to people and not corporate donors, it's a win. And for me, regardless of where they are on the political spectrum. Um, and that's something that the tribalism that it doesn't impress me much. You know, we need to get non-corporatists in there and let them represent their communities accordingly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And that is and that was that was part of the voting legislation. Yeah, <laughs> that was. Are you uh, campaign finance reform? Right. Oh, God, don't get me started on that one. But. <laughs> and that in many ways, you know, everyone there's people on the right who have been convinced that, well, we're just taking the vote away from certain communities because they're only going to vote Democrat. No, the real reason they're taking their vote away is because they if they have the opportunity to vote without all of the bureaucratic red tape. Look, anyone who is paying attention to the 2020 primary in Texas in particular, on the Democratic side, saw what a nightmare it was for the progressive, if people who were going to vote progressive in the primary, how difficult it was to vote in places like Houston, in places like Austin. The reality is they make it very difficult, if not outright impossible for people to vote because they know that if they are voting, chances are they're voting for working class interests. And that is not yeah. what the people in charge want. Bottom line. Absolutely. How can people find you if they want to follow your work? How can they find her? her? She's a congressperson. Look, I know you don't have Alex's Twitter following of 13 million people, but I'm sure <laughs> they, should. they should have it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure they would love to follow you and obviously follow your work. So if there's any uh, anything you want to shout out, anything you're working on that you want to mention right now that people should know about, the floor is yours. Um, yeah, so I my official accounts are all at Rep Jasmine, and then my campaign accounts are Jasmine for us on all social media platforms, except I don't have an official Twitter. I only have a campaign, I mean, 
TikTok. I only have a, a campaign TikTok, um, but everything else we've got on all the platforms. Um, right now, I'm working a lot on food insecurity and just trying to make sure that SNAP benefits are protected as this is a farm bill year. So I sit on the ag committee um, and I have 20% of my district that lives at or below poverty. So there's a lot of food insecurity here. And I think it's just absolutely ridiculous that we can't feed people in this country. Um, and I also think it's ridiculous that Republicans are trying to take away SNAP benefits at a time that we're experiencing record inflation um, that obviously hits everybody, but we all know that the lower socioeconomic group of folk get hit harder. And so the idea that we want to make life even more difficult for them is unacceptable for me. So um, that's really what I'm pushing for right, right now in this moment, as we're trying to finalize negotiations and our fight um, over the farm bill. And then I'll be able to start getting to file like my bills and getting on my agenda. But we had to get our appropriations request in by the end of March. So basically we got in and then we went straight to appropriations and we had to learn how it all worked out. Um, and I did not want my cities to be left out. I did not want to miss out on an opportunity for community project investments for um, those nonprofits that are doing the work on the ground in my district. So we spent a lot of time really working on that. Um, and we'll get to some of my voting rights legislation, um, some of my repro legislation and all that other kind of stuff that I plan to work on, some criminal justice reform stuff. Um, definitely trying to get deferred adjudication uh, on the federal level, which is not an option uh, at this point in time. So definitely going back to my criminal justice roots with lots of marijuana legislation and things like that. Um, so we'll get started on my agenda probably in the next, we'll be back in a week. So probably in the next two to three weeks, we'll start kind of turning out some of my bills. Very cool. You know, Food insecurity first... is definitely a problem. We have school lunch debt. Like that's a thing. School lunch debt is a thing here. Wow. Oh yeah. 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 But it's Florida. So if you think things are bad in Texas, <laughs> trust me, we beat you every time, no matter what. Uh, and, and if things maintain the way that they are, we're going to beat you in population too, which is kind of insane. I don't know where people are going to go, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, you are a shining example of what it means to be a public servant. Not everything that you espouse is something everyone's going to agree with, but you are representing your constituents to the best of your ability, which is not an easy thing to do. There is constant pressure left and right all day, every day. You handle it with grace and dignity, which I must say, I, I have to leave you with this. Your congressional photo is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> she looks like that. She does look like that. That's the thing. We said the same thing about Sheila when she was running. Yeah, and she, looks, she really looks like she that. She looks now, like, look, a, look, you look like you look like a congresswoman. Like you look yeah, like you a and that's you look a, lovely. You look lovely yeah. as Thank always. Thank you. you so much for coming on. It was so nice to talk to we you. We will. We we will Thank be. Yep, we will be in D.C. May 2nd through May 4th. If you happen to be in town, we would love to say We are out. We're out. Yeah. The only week we're out is the first week yeah. of uh, freedom. May. And so we, we actually have a elect Democratic Women's Caucus event in another city. So I'll be with the other women of the caucus. That's um, nice. Well, we will miss you. Thank you for coming on so much, Congresswoman. Absolutely. Talk to y'all later. All right, bye. Bye. Uh, that was a great conversation.
Yeah. Um, so guys, you know what? There, it's, I love when people want me to like ask her about Julian Assange. Can I explain to you if Jasmine Crockett was in an authority position or in any position at all to do anything about Julian Assange, or there was a vote coming up that we really needed to put pressure on or anything like that, I'd consider it. But there's really no point in doing that. And, and as far as haranguing her about a past vote, yeah, I could see, you know, doing that if I were a constituent and if I maybe were a journalist. But guys, we're not. That's not what we're doing here. We're trying to build bridges, build coalitions, find projects that we agree on and try to get things done. My goal is not to agitate people for things that they've done that I don't agree with. My goal is to work with people on what we do agree with. That so, is exactly you know, the point. that's just the point. Exactly. Yeah, that is the point of not, again, it's not a question of whether uh, representatives can be pushed. Let me tell you, this is... This is a lady who probably is fairly moderate in most ways. You know, she had positive things to say about Nancy Pelosi, positive things to say about Steny Hoyer. We don't agree. There is no point in diving into that. It doesn't. No. It doesn't serve in any capacity. Exactly. So the, the goal here is to focus or Elizabeth on Elizabeth Warren for that because people were going. Oh, on. absolutely. I and you know what? That. And you know what? I am sure. I have no doubt that Elizabeth Warren is a lovely lady, and I'm sure that people like being around her. We do not agree with She's what not she like did. Debbie, you no, know what I mean? That's totally like, different. Right. Thing. No, exactly. It, look, if you were in Congress and Representative and Senator Warren invited you to her home in Massachusetts, you'd go. I mean, yeah, you'd have, you have to be you know. like that. You know what, guys? You know, you you really if it, this is why so many people are unqualified to participate in this capacity because they make it so personal and they're incapable of getting past their personal opinions about everything and judgments about people to get things done. So what I would say to guys, people, especially in the chat, when you don't understand how that works, is it's best that you just don't give up your day job for this because all right, neoliberal teams brings up a fair point. We didn't get a chance to bring up Assange. But that is a fair point. Uh, Rashida Tlaib is obviously doing a great job of making this a front and center issue. And the good news is, is that a lot of GOP representatives like Thomas Massey are on board with this. So being able to make it a bipartisan effort is a big part of the equation without question. And you know what? Here's, Here's what it really comes down to, neoliberal tears, is as sort of what people would consider to be a pretty left progressive uh, podcast show that we are and the reputation that we have in terms of that I challenge Debbie Wasserman Schultz. We do not often get sitting Congress people, Democrats who are in there to actually come on our show and talk to us. And it is a bridge and a connection that is important to maintain. And so poking at somebody about something that's controversial and when they agree to come on. And again, I'm not a journalist, right? I'm trying to be, I'm an organizer activist person that's trying to get things accomplished. I don't need to grill her. So we, that's not my mission, but I do agree Assange needs the support he can get. And if I were, and if I were texting her privately, I would absolutely say that, but I'm not going to confront her on the first time she's coming on since being a sitting Congresswoman and alienate her from doing other things with us. So I, that's politics. Yes. And politics is a dirty business. And unfortunately, as I've often said to Jen, as I say to a lot of people, even somebody like Jasmine, you do not have to be dirty to be in politics, but you have to work with dirty people. You don't have a choice. It's just the way it is. And so you can like like the people that are out there that say, oh, just vote for the Green Party. Again, 
you're not getting anywhere by doing that. If you don't change the, the you know, it's, it's like when people say, oh, well, if we just vote out all the Republicans, that's not going to happen. You well, have and to from where we are, here's the other thing. From where we are, guys, as far as being left of the majority of like the Democratic Party, when we bring on people that are affiliated and in the Democratic Party, there is a range of them. Some of them tend to be more progressive than others. Some, you know, and not everybody is in that vein. But I definitely get a sense from Jasmine, the way she talks, the way she speaks truth to power. This is the way she sits there and talks about her class and and. Yeah, she acknowledged Pelosi and Steny Hoyer, but she also was very quick to acknowledge how it's changing and more and more people are coming in and those people are stepping down. And I can tell she's got a fire in her and there's people like that that are in there. And in the Now, let me tell you something. If she had if she had the years under her, the experience under her and the chops under her, that's the type of candidate that could challenge Ted Cruz and actually potentially knock him off. Now, that, of course, is not going to happen right now. But no, if you, no, but if know, she's got out. eight years of congressional experience under her belt, knowing the type of leader she is and what she could accomplish and where this country might be come 2030 and where Texas might be come 2030, what that might ultimately look like? Yeah, she's the type of person that would stand a fighting chance, no, with all due respect, Beto, uh, of actually being able to pull it off. She is as... She's, she's extremely a, competent. Like, intelligent. She's got it all. Well, she really is. She's the whole package. And, and, and I she's willing... With her. And she's willing to be hated, which is not something that a lot of people are willing to do. No. And that includes a number of the progressive candidates that ran for office on Jen Slate that are not willing to take that kind of heat. Jasmine is willing to take it now. Yeah, and she also doesn't free. need the job or the money. That's no. the other thing. She has She's a career. Exactly. She is a very successful attorney. Uh, she I mean, this was fast. I mean, she got into the state house in 2020 and got into Congress in 2022. And so. You know, she has a lot of options ahead of her. And she has an experience with that, but she's an extremely competent person. And to those, um, I don't know who asked the question regarding, you know, what did she get for her vote? um, About Hakeem Jeffries? About Hakeem Jeffries. It's like, look, I don't support Hakeem Jeffries. No. I don't know if she does. But I know this. There was nobody who stepped up to challenge him. There should have been. And but should necessarily, been- would you think it would really be a freshman? Because that's something I think we need to talk about, because there is a certain experience factor. You know, when you're new somewhere and I mean, just fresh new, that's not the time for you to be like getting involved in that kind of fight when it's not a possibly win- winnable fight. Like, why would you make your point? Why would you die on that hill? Screw up future relations for something that would what to be the one person out? When like, it's just not, it, why would she do that as a freshman? That's what I'm That's what I'm saying. Danny, unfortunately, I can't give you Clinton tonight because I'm not in the studio. It would be kind of weird without the mask on. Let me. Do you want me to back- like put it on my head and you can no, do that? No, that would be too weird. Too weird. <laughs> um, I'll be back in the studio on Wednesday. I will be back tomorrow night. Um, so yeah, I no, will definitely, I'll be happy to do it then. I was even, I was somewhat tempted to give uh, Jasmine, um, Trump, but I decided against it. And I know Jen probably wouldn't have liked it if I did. So, um, you got to just sort of like know your audience and know where it is and where it is not. Yeah. I mean, guys, uh, we're, we, 
we're doing everything we can to do, you know, work our strategy and do what we can, but we need the alliances in places like Congress as few as we can get, but as many as we can get, right? Like we don't have yeah. them, but we need them. So, you know, that's not, that's just. And again, it is unfortunate um, as neoliberal tears wants to point out the whole relational harm thing. Yes, we totally understand. But ultimately, you know, you have to figure out what is it going to take to rally enough people? I don't like the idea that we have to make it such a hot button issue like the gun debate in order to get thousands of people in the street. We need a thousand thousands of people in the street for universal health care, for workers' rights, living Where wage. Where's Andy when we see the liberal tears for Assange uh, for the rally for Assange yeah. on May 3rd? Um, so I do find it very important. There's a difference. And as Britt Mara, who is new to the show, we are very happy to have you here, Britt. Yes. Uh, you have to play smart. Being Playing smart is a huge part of the equation. Doesn't mean I, selling out. Those are not the same thing. Correct. Yeah, and you have to be willing to take those chances. Like I said, somebody like Thomas Massey, I respect because he did tell Trump to lost. And it could have cost him dearly politically. Meanwhile, everyone is coming after Thomas Massey today because he happens to be uh, uh, partially representing uh, the city of Louisville, which, of course, had a a shooting today. And everyone wants to get on him because he's a big proponent of the NRA, even though he is not a corporate whore. Uh, He is a huge proponent of the Second Amendment. And part of the reason that he is, in, in part, is that he represents the most rural district in the entire country by far. Kentucky's fourth district, if you look at it on the map, in terms of how many people are there, how much space there is, how much. Can we we please, though, argue or I would at least like to argue that being a supporter of the Second Amendment and being in cahoots with the NRA are two completely different things. So the fact that he is likes the Second Amendment and supports gun ownership in a rural community, that that doesn't bother me. The fact that somebody is promoting the gun lobby, gun manufacturers, which is really all the NRA is now. The the NRA is no longer sportsmen hunting people like that. The NRA is the lobbying arm of the gun manufacturers. So as as you've pointed out, and as you've pointed out many times, the NRA is no longer the, you know, the NRA of the days of Charlton Heston. That is not what that organization is anymore. And the reason it isn't is because we have outsourced such a large portion of our manufacturing industry to countries that pay slave wages, even though it could be argued that that's what we do here in the States. Well, we have child labor now. But what do we produce in this country? We produce weapons. It is a $3 billion net profit a year business. So to think that the NRA is not going to spend tens, if not hundreds of dollars to protect their investment, of course they are. That's what's going to happen. Now, granted, I do believe that one of the biggest reasons that these shootings now, granted, shootings happen all the time, but they're being highlighted on social on on network news and all of that for obvious reasons. But the fact is, our society is breaking down. It is. Well, and that's that's really what the problem is. The problem isn't the guns, you know, the problem again, the problem is that you've got very desperate, desperate people and we don't have health care. We, which of, of course we don't have mental health care and we have a for shit education system Yep. and all of our money goes to kill people in other places. And, you know, 
that's the problem. We don't have normal priorities. We have. And I really wish more people would be more open minded about the things that are really defining uh, the difference uh, between, you know, having nuance is key. Um, If you guys like our nuance in particular, since we have the opportunity to speak and and what I am going to ask, I I wasn't going to ask her live, but I'll ask her team. Um, What I would recommend uh, from Jasmine is if she would be kind enough to refer us to another congressional representative to say, they would be a really good fit to come on your podcast and have a conversation. Frankly, I don't care if they're a D or an R. They could come on and you know, we'll have another conversation. And apparently a lot of people like the way we interview. And the truth is, because I don't want to- Because don't do gotchas. That's not the point of this. No, we have very- uh, Look, when we had Jasmine on our show the first time, we talked for about two and a half hours. Tonight, we talked for just under an hour. I didn't want to keep her too long because she did allude to the fact that she has to get up very early in the morning. But the fact is, she would have stayed with us probably for another hour if we wanted to. She's, so it's, she's busting ass. That I know. She's busting 100%. ass. She's always working. Um, if you do like, if, and if you do appreciate our work, and clearly we are able to get congressional representatives on our show, among other people, Wednesday night is going to be great because we're going to be cross-pollinating with our good friends. Uh, uh, is it uh, Laya? Is it Laya is how you say it? And Pat? Lila. Lila and Pat of the Punch-Up Pod. And of course- Lila Charles Lee. Lila Charles and, Lee. And Pat Cody. Yes. Pat Cody is going to have a, we're going to have a very interesting conversation with Pat Cody because he's been getting into it with Jimmy's people lately regarding um, uh, the vaccine and stuff. And he's been, uh, I mean, Pat Cody is no one to mess with. He's a, he's, he's like a football player. He's like that big. So he's, uh, he's got zero F's to give and he's got a lot of opinions to say the least. So that'll be an interesting conversation. But if you do appreciate our content, go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You could become a wonderful member of our show. Jen, please show them the Lulu sticker. We know that that is one, the first item up for bid that you will get if you become a $5 a month patron. But if you are feeling a little extra considerate and you are willing to become a $10 a month patron. Then you'll get you behind the people that are going to really bring it most down. Most likely become the next president of the United States. You get the is. Lulu sticker and the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker. Who has the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker, you might ask? Our friend Jordan Charrington of Status Quo News has it below his uh, United Corporations of America flag. And finally, and last but not least, if you are a super generous individual willing to go to $25 a month contributor to our Small But Mighty podcast, we will not only give you the Lulu sticker and the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker, you will also get the Generational Change Tri-Blend Soft as Silk Jersey And we certainly would love to have any and all support. But if you are not willing to go that route, because not everybody is, not everybody wants to have their information on the grid for an extended period of time. So what can you do as a substitute? Well, you can go over to Cash App, dollar sign Gen Change, and toss in any amount that you like. But every little bit counts. It makes a huge difference in our ability to grow our channel out, which we are trying to do every day. Metalopoly going after her about the Ukraine vote is just, it's like, you're talking about a vote that was sort of just so universal. It was so universal. So it's like, why would I want to, like, what would be, yes, I understand we need to hold people accountable, but when it's that thing, you're talking at such a party power move that this is, this is, this is not her. Like, that's not the, like these, they don't understand. There are certain There are certain do not pass votes. There are certain automatic votes. So what Ukraine is on the Democratic side, 
which is a sin, but this is how it works in DC, is that it is a automatic vote. What that means is, is that even if a handful of people decide that they're going to vote no, it's going to pass no matter what. And it's going to create the ire of the military industrial complex that the party is so very much involved with and will make it holy hell for the individuals who step up against it. Now, somebody like Jen, if she were on Capitol Hill and I was advising her, I would say you can definitely hold a floor vote on Ukraine and have people explain why it's necessary to continue the funding without finding an exit strategy, which is what the ultimate goal of war is. But remember, the goal on Capitol Hill is endless war, is to keep this thing going as long as humanly possible. And even if we were to end the war in Ukraine, trust me, the war in Syria or the war in Iran, which of course is the ultimate goal, is just around the corner because ultimately it's all about making sure this never ends. That's the goal. And until you're willing to tackle that problem, there really isn't much of a difference here. It's all the same. And so before we do close for the evening, um, we do want to play this very important clip because I think it personifies a lot of what has happened over the past few days. Reinstatement of Justin Jones by the, Nas uh, by the uh, Nashville City Council, uh, which was unanimous. And now he is back at the state house and he brought friends with him. So you will see that uh, right now. Uh. Representative Jones. All right, audience, the members in the balcony. There's to be no disruptions from the balcony. That's the protocol here. I ask you to refrain, please. There's members on the floor asking you to refrain. Please refrain from disrupting the proceedings. Thank you. Representative Jones. Thank you. Mr. Speaker, I want to welcome the people back to the people's house. I want to, I want to welcome democracy back to the people's house. That on last Thursday, members of this body tried to crucify democracy, but today we stand as a witness of a resurrection of a movement of a multiracial democracy that no unjust decision will stand. And that this represents the point that there comes a time where time itself is ready for a change, that time has come back here in Nashville, Tennessee. That truth crushed to the ground will rise again, that what you intend for evil can be used for good to restore the heart of democracy in our state. And so I come here to stand with my constituents, with the people of Tennessee, to say that no unjust attack on democracy will, will happen unchallenged. That the abuse of this body will not happen in the comfort of silence. And so I come here most importantly though, not as an individual, but I come here to say that the people of District 52, 78,000 people have a voice in this chamber once again. I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful for the days ahead for Tennessee, not because of the actions of this body, but because of the actions of the people out there and the thousands gathered outside this chamber right now who are calling for something better, who's, who, who responded to your attacks on democracy with an attack of a mass movement for social justice and racial justice and economic justice to restore the heart of our state. And so I wanna thank you all, um, not for what you did, but for awakening the people of this state. 
particularly the young people. Thank you for reminding us that the struggle for justice is fought in one in every generation. And so the people of Tennessee, I stand with you. We will continue to be your voice here. And no expulsion, no attempt to silence us will stop us, but it'll only galvanize and strengthen our movement. And we continue to show up in the people's house. Power to the people. All right. That's out of order. That's the second time. One more time. And unfortunately, I will not be able to determine who is yelling during the proceedings. So I would have to clear the whole thing out. So for the third time, please refrain from disrupting the proceedings. Thank you. Okay. Welcome and honoring. Yeah, he's a little pissed off, to say the least. Them. It's great. This is what happened. That's what generational change looks like. That's progress right there. You're watching it in real time. That's yeah. what we're seeing. So, yeah. yeah. And just the reaction from the two representatives that had to sit by him and didn't seem too pleased with the idea of, uh, you know, him speaking. And again, he does stand out. You know, he's not just... Uh, you know, a person of color. He's somebody who has what appears to be sort of like a radical streak to him. Like he's somebody who's willing to get on the bullhorn, you know, and that for oh, yeah. society, liberal and conservative, they don't like that stuff. They're like, I didn't go to the finest schools and go to the finest, you know, pro private clubs and stuff to allow the help, if you will, into our chambers. You guys are not welcome here, and we'll do everything in our power to kick you out. That's kind of what it seems like to me. Well, it, it's not that it's not that they're black; it's that they're uppity. That's that's the thing. They're they're all you know stating things and calling shit out and talking about marginalized people and speaking truth to power, and that is the problem. Now, the fact that they got let go. That's because they're black, but that's not the reason that they're threatening. That's not the reason that they're scared of them. Of that's course. my point. Everyone thinks it's this black white thing. Now, don't get me wrong. This is Tennessee and I know Tennessee pretty well. And I can tell you that Tennessee, especially East Tennessee as the type of back backwards, you know, deep South, deep-seated racism that exists in Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, South Carolina, Georgia, and North Florida. It is still alive and well. It exists. It is not dead. Is it what it once was? Not even close. In fact, it's a fraction of what it once was. But what you have to remember is that when you're really starting to lose control, the, the, the moves that people will make that seem as undemocratic as anything is because it's their it's like a dying wish. It's like their last opportunity to maintain whatever fiefdom that they have. And that is true of just about anybody in the political sphere. It's just what it is. Last story we will cover because we did mention it in the bio and we do have to talk about it because it is important. And that, of course, is when we're talking about justice here, we're talking about the highest level of justice, and that is the Supreme Court. And of course, for the past... Oh, you know, been a few years now. Excuse me. We've been talking at great length about how the Supreme Court does not answer to the will of the people anymore, especially because the last two representatives in particular that have been put on the court or justices, I should say, 
uh, Kavanaugh and Coney Barrett are straight from the Heritage Foundation. Uh, that's not doing justice. But Justice Thomas has been on the judiciary for 33 years. I think that's about how long he's been there. I remember and, it like it was yesterday. Yeah, considering the... It was so disappointing then, it's still disappointing now. Well, considering the controversy that was surrounding it when it happened in the first There were place. a lot of things. that I was thinking about that. I've been reminiscing on that. And it's really interesting to me. That was the first time that I realized that the credentials and the kind of people that could get on the court were just, that was the first time I noticed they really let it go. That was when I'm like, okay, so somebody can just be kind of lechy and disgusting and just get elected to the highest court in the land. Okay. So that his, like, that was the first time for me that I realized that qualifications were of no, no import anymore. Uh, the one thing I will say to our good friend, Metalopoly, who thinks that I'm insulting all Southern people by saying that there is a racist element that still exists in South Carolina where he happens to be. Uh, oh it does. God. It does. Like, stop it's pretending happening. like it doesn't exist. Now, you want to say that it's 5 to 10% of the population? Fine. But guess what? We live in a country where five to 10% of the population that believes in that is getting, I don't know, 25 to 30% representation in the state house in places because of gerrymandering, because of the way that the system is set up. You can't ignore exactly. that the system is messed up. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why when, when you know, we were looking at the Kavanaugh hearings, you know, for me, it was just, again, it was another Groundhog Day example. We're just taking yeah. in another misogynist, belligerent person and putting them in the highest court in land. Okay, that's fine. Senate Democrats urge Supreme Court justice to investigate Clarence Thomas luxury trips. Senate Judiciary Committee's Democratic majority called for an investigation into Senate uh, the senator's trips funded by a Republican mega donor. Not a surprise. The committee announced in the letter it would hold a hearing in the coming days on the need to restore confidence in the Supreme Court's ethical standards. Well, I don't know what ethical standards they're thinking of, but there really isn't much. And that goes both ways. The Democrats also warned that they would consider legislation to resolve the issue if the high court does not do so on its own. The Senate Judiciary Committee's Democratic majority called for the investigation Chief Justice Roberts should immediately open a probe into how much conduct could take place on his watch. Dick Durbin of Illinois, uh, who's another political lifer, but, you know, if it's going against the other team, he'll step in and do what he has to do. Uh, Metalopoly, a thousand percent, we believe, Tara Reid. We've covered her. We've had her on the show. Check mm -hmm. it out. Yeah. The letter came three days after Thomas said he had been advised early in his tenure as a Supreme Court justice that this sort of personal hospitality, sorry, hospitability was what I thought it was saying, but I read it too quick. Hospitality from close personal friends who did not have business before the court was not reportable. I mean, that is like, you're trying to play dumb here. The 74-year-old justice who is and this is and this is somebody who sits on the highest court in highest the court. And he's actually he's actually pleading ignorance when we know, and this is by the way, day one of law school, ignorance of the law is no excuse. And and, and that's what's so fascinating to me that that's what he's going with. 
the 74-year-old justice who served on the nation's highest court since 1991 was respond- responding to ProPublica's report last Thursday that he had accepted expensive trips from wealthy GOP donor Harlan Crow for more than two decades. So this has been going on for quite some time, it would appear. And the investigation, which cites a range of documents and interviews, also quotes ethics experts who said Thomas appears to have violated a disclosure law by not reporting the trips. But some judicial ethics experts have said Thomas may not have been required to report the trips under the rules that had been in place before they were updated last month. You know, here's here's the bottom line. Whether it is the behavior of Mr. Thomas's wife, whether it is the decisions that he has made on the court, the fact that, Jen, you have pointed out many times, he is basically a justice who just sits there, who doesn't do anything. He just rubber stamps whatever the right, uh, whatever the right wing. Uh, well, I mean, majority. he was basically just like mini Rehnquist for years and years. I mean, that was just the yeah. thing. He was just going to do what Rehnquist said. Um, and that I, I never me, found him impressive. I always found him disgusting and misogynistic. And um, now, you know, now he's got company on there too. So it's all yeah. disappointing to me. It's em- it's embarrassing. It's now, embarrassing. Why why does the story matter? The story matters because has is it likely more than likely that Justice Thomas has committed crimes of such egregious nature that he could very well be subject to impeachment and removal from the court? Yes, I'm sure that he has. And this is only what you're seeing on the surface. I'm sure what is behind the scenes is even much, much worse. And so as a result of that, the question now becomes, so if in fact- You don't know a thing about me, dude. I actually am pretty constitutional as myself and he is not that at all. And you don't know what you're talking, read his decisions. You're just. Metalopoly is just defending his conservative line and that's okay. But you're wrong about him as a jurist. Yeah. No, the point is if you're, if, if the, if the democratic side is so concerned about the future of this country and thinks that the Supreme court is essentially the line that is drawn in the sand where you would say that all these other things don't matter because with a six, three court, it only will get worse if we do not take drastic action. Well, you know what? Here's your opportunity to take drastic action. And the and the House has nothing to do with this. This is all Senate. This is a Democratic majority Senate. They absolutely have the numbers. If they want to bring this forward, they could. And by doing so, they could theoretically, it's two years out, they could theoretically impeach Thomas and replace him with a liberal judge that would make it a 5-4 court. And considering how Justice Roberts has a history of being a true independent swing voter on the court, that going from six to three to five to four is a generational change. It's that significant. I have zero confidence that this president is gonna is gonna be able to get somebody sitting there when Obama wouldn't even be able to get Merrick Garland on. And you think that they're going to be able to uh, just appoint somebody and that this Senate is going to just go with that? Yeah. See, I don't see it happening. Well, I agree with you that it's likely to happen. But 
The reason that this is an important talking point is that in the very near future, when Biden is trying to win re-election again, and people are saying, how in the hell is this happening all over again? And they say, yeah, we know Joe's not so good, but you know, you got to vote for him because if he doesn't, Thomas is going to retire and either Trump or DeSantis is going to put another conservative judge on the court for another 30 years. It's the same stupid game that's going to repeat itself over and over again. So fight for it right now. You have the opportunity. Why not fight for it? That's what I you suppose. should do. And That's then what's I, you supposed know, to happen. I, I just think it's just it's they'll fight. They'll get involved if they find that the theater will somehow benefit them politically. Otherwise, people aren't going to really get this. Involved. Would benefit them politically. This would absolutely benefit them. Well, that you're assuming that they actually want to get somebody else on the court. You're assuming that they actually want to have a judicial nomination process that they have to go through and deal with and have approved and try to push through and all this. You're assuming they want that. Metalopoly, if you think for one second oh, that the I decision that? to take away a woman's right to choose was not 1,000% political, point blank, period, even Justice Roberts in the um, and who wrote it, it was it was um, uh, who, who wrote the dissent against uh, for it? Uh, it was um, Alito. Even yeah. Roberts said, yeah, this is probably not the best issue. And of course, again, it ultimately does become political. The courts are political now. You're going to oh, tell and me. That's, that- and that's the thing. I mean, when people say they're not, they totally are. And yes, are. here's my question. Metalopoly, have you ever read? any of like Supreme Court opinions? Have you read them? And have you read and noticed the political shift that has happened over the years? Have you noticed that it's always sort of been somewhat consistent, but since basically, you know, the 80s, it's gotten kind of really out of control, which is completely in line with the religious right. I am. So I am actually, I am for the Electoral College, but I'm for it being amended. And the same with the filibuster. See, the thing is, you don't actually have to remove the filibuster. You can temporarily remove it for necessary legislation. That's the dirty little secret that nobody wants to talk about. But they won't do it because, again, the idea is to never get anything for working people done. That's the bottom line. Yeah. And anybody who knows me, I've said a million times, I actually don't really have an opinion on the Electoral College or the popular vote. It's one of those things that I it needs to be changed. One Like it needs help, whatever it is. Yeah. But I, I could be like I would need to see a lot of numbers and a lot of information before making that choice. Ultimately, I agree. Little if nothing is going to be done regarding nope. Justice Thomas, nope. even though there is grounds to do something. Well, and not only grounds, because you guys are also, you guys, people are looking at it from this, all these lavish trips. And I think some of that stuff will be seen as somewhat discretionary and subjective and all that. But the bottom line is my understanding, and this was something that Bo did a piece on, is that just by flying on certain aircraft, just his being on certain aircraft is a violation based on like private ownership. I mean, there's actually specifically a rule about the aircraft. And so this is sort of like the opportunity where that's where you would be able to get him. But this is sort of like getting Trump on the emoluments clause. They're not going to do it that way. Which is exactly what I've been saying it for three years, however long it's been. It's like if you want to nail Trump and really nail him, there it is. You've literally got his son-in-law doing exactly what Hunter Biden was doing for, for the president 
regarding Ukraine. It's the same thing. They all do this. Right. If Which is not, not saying gonna, we condone it. It's not saying we no. condone it. But the pointing fingers and the whataboutism isn't getting us anywhere. Unless you're willing to tackle the real crimes, the crimes that affect our everyday lives, not a guy who's out banging a porn star and paying her off. If you're not going to attack the real crimes, then there's no point of this because it's not one person. It's the system that's broken. The biggest danger of Donald Trump is that he is exposing this system for what it is. It is a fraud. It is a joke. And anyone who thinks that if we just get rid of Trump, everything will be okay, that is not true. It is anything but the truth. It is a necessary evil for us to see it for what it really is. So with that said, even the ones we disagree with, we are very appreciative to have each and every one of you here. Double K, always love to see you. Travers, Danny, you know, even Metalopoly. Uh, we love Metalopoly. Arpadium, always great. Angie, always great. Of course, a big shout out to our new follower in the chat, Britt Mara. We hope to see you more regularly. Uh, for everyone who came on here tonight to hear the Congresswoman, and of course, we'll have at least two very good clips that we will put up of the Congresswoman that you guys will be able to hear. Uh, I think it was an excellent conversation. Oh, Thursday, Gen Z Report um, will be on Thursday night, guys. Nine o'clock, Gen Z Report. You guys check yes. out. And uh, Will uh, Walter, who came on from Our Revolution, Wisconsin, uh, he wrote us a message on the uh, YouTube comment section. I think he would definitely love to come back again. Um, so we definitely- Bring your friends, Britt. Bring some friends with you. Yes. Bring a bench. You know, you, we're building this bench where I think it would and it would probably, to be honest, if we had a bench of like 10 to 15 people that could come on at any one time, that would probably make it a lot easier for a lot RBDM, of them. You're black and you also and you support impeachment of Clarence Thomas. Well, that's just against type, isn't it? You're saying that black people aren't a giant monolith of belief. Bea Costa, <laughs> great to see you on the podcast tonight. Uh, Negroni, yeah, great she to see awesome. you. Double K, did you know she was the, the rep in the legislature in Texas that led the walkout? Um, and they all left the state and they were out of state for like a month and they had to sustain this. And by the way, just so people know, state legislators don't make money like Congress people make money. Uh, right? they do. So, I think they get paid, I think they get paid, uh, fairly decent in Texas, if I remember correctly. It's, it's, not, it's not, yeah, but they only work every other year and it's like, it's a weird thing there. Trust not me. In, not, the, the, I'll, I'll tell you a state where the state legislators don't get paid well at all. And that's Florida at all. They get paid. They get paid so poorly in Florida that they're basically daring you to become corrupt. And that's what happened with my state representative when I first moved to Florida. Well, because otherwise people can't afford to do that as a job, right? Okay. Like regular people that are working people, in order to do that job, you basically have to give up your job. So, you know, I know a lot of people that are money people, professional people, attorneys, people that have resources that they don't have to be here to actually do their job. They can do both. But for people who are regular working people to take that job, it's hard. Because there is not good money there. So that is why when you see the actions that were happening today with Justin Jones, you just have to understand that the economic incentive to be a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout is not, it's very hard to do that. 
because financially it doesn't make any sense. Now, the reason why, ironically, in many ways it can be easier on the GOP side than the, than the Democratic side is because very often the people in the GOP who end up in these positions typically are career people. They have some form of a trade that there is something that they do that allows them to make a considerable amount of money, particularly in the private sector. On the Democratic side, it's not as common. You get a lot of people that are in different walks of life that could be activists, they could be teachers. They don't have as much of a fallback in terms of their income. So that is something that we need to change. And that is something that if we advocate for correctly, could actually make a huge difference in the future. But remember on Wednesday night, remember we are live Monday, Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Wednesday night, we will be having a crossover podcast with our friends at Punch Up Pod. Lila, uh, Lila Charles Lee and Pat Cody. Uh, they are huge Bernie Kratz and we love having them on for a lot of interesting conversation. This conversation will be very interesting because Pat Cody has been getting into it with Jimmy's people for the past couple of weeks now. Uh-huh. And uh, that'll uh, definitely create some interesting uh, conversations in the chat, to say the least. We're going to get so many haters is the translation of that. Yeah, we'll have some fun with it. You're hating on us. Well, with that said, smash the like button. Smash the like button. Make sure you're subscribed. Click the bell so that you get reminders of when our show goes live, as well as our live clips, or or should I say clips that do go live. Uh, Very, very important. But we appreciate you guys. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.